Awesome. Good morning, everybody. Uh, really, it's just a wonderful privilege to be able to be with you and to be able to unpack God's Word this morning with you. Um, we started in a new series last week. So if you're new, you've joined us right in the start of a new series. Uh, we started a series. We're going to be preaching through our core values. You can have a look over there. Those are our core values as a church here at Connect. And uh, it's just such a privilege to be able to preach through them because they're not some random abstract ideas that we've come up with, but our core values are rooted in Scripture. And so, and so when we speak about our core values and we get to preach on our core values, it's a way of just bringing what God has said to us through his word to the front of our minds again and remember, hey, this is what God has called us to do as a church. And so it really is an honor and a blessing and a privilege to be able to do that. I know that as, as I've thought about core values and I've spoken to some people about what they think about having core values as a church, uh, regardless of whether you believe in them as a business or whatever else, there is a sentiment that maybe like we should just be able to pick up God's word and say, hey, herein lie our core values. Um, and, and, and I think there's some truth in that. But at the end of the day, like in the book of Revelation, Jesus commended different churches for different things and he also rebuked them for different things. And there's a there's a space and place, I believe, in the life of a specific church where God says to you, hey, I want you to focus on this. And there may be many churches that share the same core value. There may be many, they may, there may be many that don't. But at the end of the day, God has got, I believe, specific stuff for different churches to get involved in and, and to be pushing into and to be persevering in. And so our core values are, are really, from God's word, they are what we believe God is saying to us and what we want to press into as a church here at Connect. And like I said, there are many things that we could focus on. Our, our slogan is continuing the work of Jesus. I think it's great. But I think there's a place in the space where we have to unpack that. And so in, in, in that way, I think, I think core values are great. It's, it's, it's fantastic to have clearly articulated and succinct core values because they help Keep us focused. They help refine vision. God's word says that without vision, his people perish. Core values help us to focus on what we believe God is calling us to put efforts and energy into. And so when we start to plan as a church and when we start to move forward as a church, we know, hey, God has said to us, push forward and push hard into these spaces. It's not that the rest of scripture fades away or that other core values wouldn't be significant. It's just to say, this is what we believe God has called us to as a church here at Connect. And so... They clarify what we're trusting God for, and they get us to keep the main thing the main thing and keep our focus and energy in the right place. So core values, I've come to believe, are great, although you could have literally hundreds of them. We just have four. So the one I get to unpack this morning, which is really great, is we, we, we want to be a church that see people coming to faith in Jesus. But what do we mean by this? I think it's unhelpful to just leave it like that. I think it's helpful to unpack it. Really simply put, what we, what we mean by this core value is that we want to see people being saved. And not just see people as a church. We don't just want to witness it. We don't just want to be bystanders looking in on God doing work and having other people being used by God to bring those that are in the dark into the light. We want God to be using us organizationally as a church and as the individuals that make up this church to be leading people to Jesus. So what we mean by this core value is we want to be a people that see people coming to faith in Jesus. It means we want God to be using us personally and as a church in the way we structure ourselves, the way we preach, the way that we have impact in the community. We want to see people coming to faith through the ministry of the people here at Connect Church. That means every single one of us that's involved 
We believe that God wants us to be his hands and his feet and his mouthpiece in this regard. There are many other churches that are doing this. We don't want to be left out. Right? We don't want to be left out. There are many other people doing this. It, 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 it cannot be that one day we stand before Jesus and Jesus says, Connect Church, you've done so many things very well, but this one thing I hold against you. You never preached the gospel. People didn't come to salvation. Church, ministry, great that it was all in place, but as individuals in the marketplace, in our schools, in our homes, in our sports clubs, wherever it is that we were, we were quiet and we were silent. And people never came to know me through your obedience and faithfulness to me. Let that never be something that Jesus has to say to us. That's why this is our core value. It's one of them. I want to show you how it's rooted in Scripture. This is what we mean by we want to see people coming to know Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 2 it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This is what we mean. We, we want to see God using us as a church and as individuals to see people pass from death to life. We want to see people being saved. John chapter five twenty four. Truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And then Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son or into the kingdom of light. We want to see this happening. We want to be a church that God uses to take people from the kingdom of darkness and place them into the kingdom of light. We want to see God using us to have people that are spiritually dead come to spiritual life. And when we say we want people to know Jesus and to follow him, it's not just know about him mentally. It's not just have knowledge about him. It's not just know what the Bible says and know who Jesus is, historically speaking, and know what he says about himself. Even James, you'll know James writes, and he says, even the demons believe in God. In other words, they have mental knowledge of him. They've been closer to him than we've been in many ways. But they're not saved. That's not faith. There's no life there. What we're talking about is not only giving people knowledge of Jesus and confronting them with the truth of Jesus, but actually having God pour out his favor upon us and use us as his church and as his people to be his instruments, his mouthpiece, his hands and feet in seeing people come to genuine faith, move from death to life, and then to follow him. It's what we mean by the core value of wanting to see people come to faith in Jesus. And it might be a silly question to ask, but my next point is, so why do we have this as a core value? I think it's helpful to unpack this. I think there's essentially, there's essentially two reasons, two main reasons why we have this as a core value. Firstly, because it's on the heart of God that people would come to know him. It's the whole redemption story. It's the whole purpose of redemption. From, from, from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, God has been redeeming a people to him. There's, theologians speak about the crimson thread and the thread that runs through scripture. It's the story of Jesus and his blood that would be spilled for us so that those who are far from God could be brought back into his presence. It's why we exist as a church to make Jesus known and for people to come to know him. Ezekiel thirty-three eleven. say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, 
I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. God desires that even the most wicked in this world come to know him. We can either get behind that or we can ignore that. When God says this is his desire, we'll look just now, he supplies the power for this to happen. We are just his hands and feet who need to respond in obedience. But this is the heart of God. 2 Peter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I don't know if you've been like me, you, you, you do get a bit of a selfish, self-centered attitude as a Christian sometimes. You're like, yes, I've got the ticket. Yes, I know Jesus. I know when this world ends and all my life ends, I'm going to be spending eternity with him. So come, Lord Jesus, come. Don't we pray that prayer? It's like, Lord, I wish you would just come now. Right? And sometimes we pray that prayer over trivial things like not having power for two or three hours. Because you're like, Jesus, if you come now, eternity is going to be lit for forever. Right? And I don't have to worry about making milk for my baby over a gas stove at two o'clock in the morning because the microwave doesn't work. But the reality is when we pray this prayer, I think in many of our hearts there's a genuine desire for God to come and for us to be delivered from the pain and the suffering and the trial of this world. But if we really pray this and God had to answer that prayer right now, people in Syria and people in Turkey and people in places like that would not know him. I think sometimes we pray that prayer and we actually miss the heart of God. God's heart is not our heart. He's not slow like we think he's slow in keeping his promise to come again. He's slow because he cares, and this is a very sad thing, he cares more about the loss than we do sometimes. And that is an indictment on the church where our heart doesn't break. I think it's, Mark, you don't have to apologize for being emotional. I think we should never apologize for being emotional for people who don't know Jesus, whose lives and whose hearts are breaking who don't know Jesus. It should break our heart, church, all the time. This is on the heart of God, that people would come to know him. And when we pray, Jesus, come right now, I think we miss the heart of God. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 says, Jesus said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There is something amazing that God does in the life of a person, even before They come to know him. And this is really encouraging for us. God, through his Holy Spirit, is at work in people's lives that we haven't even met yet. We haven't even thought about. We don't even know about them. But God is at work. And because he's at work by his Holy Spirit, and because it's by his power and his power alone that the dead come to life, he's able to say to us, the harvest is plentiful. There are trees with abundant fruit, low-hanging fruits that are ripe for the picking. And what I want you to do is not go and Grow the fruit as in you make it grow. I don't want you to do the supernatural work. I want to work supernaturally through you. I want you to be my laborers, my hands and my feet. I want you to go and pick the low-hanging fruit. It is a truth that the world is ready and ripe for the message of Jesus, whether we feel resistance to it or not. Jesus has said the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. It is on the heart of God that we be a church and that we be individuals who are ready to go and say, God, I'm willing to pick for you. Because you've made the fruit grow. There are people sitting there waiting. It's one reason why we have this as a core value. The second reason is because we've been commanded to go and make disciples. We actually don't have a choice. Matthew chapter 28, 16 to 20 says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee 
to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. I love it. Just as an aside, that's an appropriate response for when you see Jesus. When you see Jesus, you worship him. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We're going to spend a little bit more time on this scripture because I think there's some really good points, some nuggets for us as it relates to this core value and our responsibility to be used by God to see people become followers of Jesus. When it comes to commands that God has given to us, there is one command that stands above the rest. Jesus even said, the greatest commandment is this. It's not going to come up on the screen. We know it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then it says the second is like that. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. It is the greatest command God has ever given to us. There's nothing better that you can do with your life than love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But when it comes to the work God has given us to do as his people, there is one command that stands above the rest. And it's this one. Go and make disciples, therefore, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. This is the greatest commandment God has given to his church with regards to the work he's called us to do. It's often referred to as the Great Commission. But what's happened, and sadly it's true, I've seen it, I've felt it, witnessed it, and if you've been a Christian for a long time, you will know this, the Great Commission has sometimes been relegated to the Great Suggestion or the Great Omission. In other words, we just never do it, or we feel like it was a suggestion from Jesus that we go and we make followers of Him. The great command or the great commission has become the great omission or the great suggestion because we tend to think it's everybody else's job. Oh, Jesus said, go make disciples. So you look to the person next to you or behind you or to those who are called to the mission field as full-time missionaries or to church organizationally, to the structure, to the different ministries or to pastors or to elders or to those we see to be involved in full-time ministry with their life, regardless of what it is. We, we, we like, feel like it's their responsibility. Here's, here's the shocker, and here's hopefully where like, the Lord will just minister us by the Spirit. This command and commission is for you individually. It is for every single person who calls himself a disciple of Jesus. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. You cannot be a disciple and not be a Christian. You cannot be a Christian and not be a disciple. To be a disciple is to be a Christian. It is to follow Jesus. And so Jesus says to all of us, go and make disciples. Go. And you might be wondering, well, how does that relate to seeing people come to know Jesus? Well, the process of making disciples begins with evangelism. It begins with seeing people come to know Jesus. Often we separate the two. We go, there's evangelism. And that's the ministry of winning people for Jesus. Big programs, 
You know, we think about a whole bunch of different international ministers that we've heard and we think of and we talk about all the time, and they're great evangelists. And so that's the ministry of evangelism, winning people for Jesus. And then we've got discipleship, and that's, and that's for the pastors and the teachers and preachers in church. Not really for me, but that's about taking people on a journey to help them to know how to live the Christian life. For me, I'm part of that, but we don't really see ourselves as being part of the evangelistic sort of side and the discipleship side. And it's unhelpful to split them. It's unhelpful. It's, it's better to speak about disciple making, which Jesus has called us to. Each and every single one of us has called us as a church. He's called you as an individual to disciple making, which starts with you, like Jesus, saying to somebody that he's put you in contact with, follow me. Come follow me. Let's build a relationship together, and I am going to introduce you to Jesus by what I say and the way I live my life. Look at what Jesus says. He says, go therefore and make disciples. The implication there is not that there's a bunch of Christians sitting around waiting to be discipled. The idea there is there's a bunch of people who aren't saved, who need to know him. And so we need to go and tell them about him, whether it's down the street or whether it's across the road in another suburb, another city, or to the other ends of the earth, we're meant to go. And then... When they get to know him and Jesus works through us and they come to salvation, then we teach them to observe all that he has commanded. We're a disciple. We're being discipled. Jesus says, go make disciples. He uses us. He works through us supernaturally. People are saved and we go, follow me as I follow Jesus. At some point in your life as a Christian, this was deeply challenging to me, at some point in your life as a Christian, you have to have at least one person that you're able to say to, honestly, follow me as I follow Jesus. Let me teach you to do the same. The problem is we've thought that it was church organizationally's responsibility to do that. I think there is place and space for us to invite unsaved people into the church. But church, the reason why we exist to get together on a Sunday is to encourage each other to go out and to do this work. Right? That's, that's why we exist here. The problem is this gathering on a Sunday has often been seen as the evangelistic place to bring people to. And so when I invite an unsaved person to this space, if he doesn't get saved or she doesn't get saved, the church hasn't done their job properly. But I've washed my hands because my job was to bring them here. People must be invited into our family. They must be welcome. But church exists for believers, this gathering, to encourage each other, to fan each other into flame and to use our gifts so that we're encouraged to go out and make disciples. Right? That's, that's what God commands us. Every single Christian is mandated and commanded to fulfill the Great Commission. As uncomfortable as that may feel, it's your responsibility as well as it is mine. So then the question is, how do I fulfill this mandate? And I'm going to be brutally honest here. There are times I'm going, God, I don't have a flying clue how to do this. It's easy to, to be part of a church and to like sort of reap the benefits of being part of a church because I think our church has done a great job. And everyone thinks you like seeing people come to know Jesus and you know exactly what you're doing. I just want to say pastors are just as clueless as you are sometimes and feel just as helpless as you do when it comes to engaging with people and having them come to know the Lord. We're reluctant. I'm reluctant sometimes. And it's fear it's fair. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of being rejected. It's easy for you guys. When you come to church, you expect to be preached at. You expect to hear about Jesus. This is comfortable. This is easy. But put me in checkers or 
me Vida having a cup of coffee somewhere and I feel like I have a word for somebody or I feel like I need to go pray for somebody, it becomes incredibly difficult to follow through with that. Or when I go back to East London and I'm with my unsaved friends who I've been friends with for years, it becomes really difficult in that moment to open my mouth and to speak about Jesus because I'm afraid of being rejected, persecuted, not having the right words, feeling ill-equipped, feeling like I'm going to fail. And, and at times, being ashamed of the gospel and being embarrassed to speak it because of how people are going to respond. And I've had to repent of that, and we've shared some funny stories, and I still get teased every now and then about it. But I, I, I used to, not loathe, but I used to be challenged by our pastors' meetings. We used to be, like, we go out for, for coffee every now and then as a pastoral team, and we'll go to a restaurant, and we'll go have coffee, and some of you have seen us out there, and it's just a great time to bond together. But we'll always pray, obviously, we'll always pray before we'll eat or drink coffee or whatever else. And there were times that it was deeply challenging for me, because when you have five or six pastors around a table, you don't just pray the normal grace prayer, right? It's not just like, Lord, bless the food. Thank you. Amen. It's like we pray, right? And sometimes it is long and it's awkward. And the waiter or waitress is standing there with a plate, right, with your coffee. And they're like, you can see they don't know what to do. Right? Do I come back? Do I stay here? And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my word. And it's, it's been challenging for me. I have subsequently repented of that and asked the Lord for forgiveness for that. But I know you do it as well. Well, thank you for sweet bless you. Amen. Right? I know you do that when you go out. I'm not saying we have to have massive prayers around the dinner table. What I'm saying is my heart needed to be right. I can't be ashamed of the gospel. I can't be ashamed of the fact that I'm praying out loud in public. But I think sometimes that stops me from being used. The reality is for all of us, this is impossible for us to do. This is not something we do in our own strength. But that's why Jesus says these words, and these words are beautiful, and I hold on to them. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. In other words, all authority has been given to me, and so with that authority I say to you, go. But all authority has been given to me, and therefore I mandate you, and I go and say to you, speak in my name. All authority that I have, I'm giving to you. It's me working through you. So rest in that. You are not responsible for bringing someone who's dead to life. You're just responsible for speaking truth. I bring dead people to life. It's my authority. It's my name. Go. Be released. Do you know how much freedom you have as someone under someone else with a lot of authority? When that person commissions you to go do something and somebody challenges you, you're always able to go, but they told me to do it. And, and I'm doing it for them. I agree with what I'm asked to do. And sometimes when you don't, it makes it so much easier when people complain. You go, it wasn't me. They sent me. And in the same way, unless we get that perspective and we understand that that is the truth about what Jesus has said, it's going to become difficult. So when you go out and you preach and you teach and we fulfill this core value, or this scriptural core value, and people resist, you go, I believe it, but Jesus sent me. He's the king and the Lord of heaven and earth. It's in his authority and his name that I come. These words remind us that the burden is not with us, but the one with authority. 1 Corinthians 3.67 says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. I think sometimes we don't go and do what God has called us to do because we think we are God. And somehow, if someone doesn't come to know Jesus, that we failed. There's low-hanging fruit. We're not always going to bump into that fruit. 
But if we don't try, we never succeed. And I would rather try 100 times and be successful 10 than never try and never be successful. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, apart from the Lord, we can do nothing. Romans 1, 14 to 17, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for it is the righteousness of God, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. The truth is this, no matter how practical, and we're going to end off with some practical just bits and pieces of advice, but no matter how practical we get about reaching the lost, reaching the lost is a spiritual thing. And unless you're at the feet of Jesus, you do not have power to be used by God to redeem those he wants to redeem. You will always feel inadequate. You'll always feel under-equipped. You'll always feel afraid or ashamed. But as we spend time at the feet of Jesus, as we deal with the spiritual side of things first, as we delight ourselves in the Lord so God fills our hearts with his desire, and then we are compelled in the Spirit to go, and then we overcome fear. We overcome those obstacles. But the problem is, for a lot of us, including myself, there's very little time spent at the feet of Jesus asking him, please, God, make me bold to go. Make me bold to go, open my mouth to speak. And dealing with our fear and dealing with our embarrassment and fear of failure and shame. But that's the only way to fulfill this mandate. is to plug ourselves into Jesus and to remain. And to realize that when we share the gospel, it's not, it's not our story, it's his. And inherent in the story of Jesus is power to redeem people. But unless you believe that, you're going to be like a salesman who doesn't believe in his products. And that might be a crude example because I don't think Jesus is a product and we shouldn't be salesmen. We're sons and daughters talking about our father and a family. Just two quick practical things because it's sometimes helpful. But how do, I, how do I go about doing this? There's no one following me. I'm not stepping out. Jesus' example was to build bridges. Just try something like this. Spend some time praying as a family or as an individual. God, who are you leading me to? Who, this is what Jesus did. Who are you leading me to? God, who are you leading me to? Who must I minister to? It might be a work colleague. It might be friends that you've been friends with for ages. It might be parents who are um, connected to your kids' friends. It, it, it might be someone in your sports team or club. It might be somebody at school or varsity. Lord, who are you leading me to? And then, God, what do you want me to do? And God, many different things. Pray for them. Share a word of encouragement. Invite them around for a meal. Ask them if there's anything going on in their life that you can pray for. And there's no guarantee you're not going to meet resistance. These are some practical things we can do. It's just, it's not very complicated. Right? We make it complicated. God, who is it? Oh, it's this person. All right. What do you want me to do? And it could be any one of those things. Jesus became friends with the marginalized in society. And we need to start doing the same thing. And lastly, I suppose this fits under one of the things you can do from the last point. But I mean, share, share your story. The gospel is the story of Jesus. It's his story. But, but your story is personal to you. And I, I was doing some reading and there's a company that does research for businesses and they were saying that nine out of ten people trust what a customer says about the business more than what the business says about itself. 
And, and we all know that that's why we go to reviews before we buy a product, most of us. And it's why to get back at a company that you're unhappy with, you write a review. You don't speak to the manager there because it's like water off a duck's back, right? But as a result, customers are more likely, 31% more likely to spend money with a company that has good reviews. Your testimony about your faith is a review on Christianity. And often we don't share that because we think it's mundane. But I want to say to you, church, there is nothing mundane about someone who was dead being brought back to life. There's nothing mundane about that. Often young people, especially involved in teenage ministry, like I embellished my, my, my salvation story quite a bit because it's fun to do that. Because right? I blew myself up with a chlorine bomb and I was in hospital for 16 days, in ICU for four days. And like it's, it's like it really captures their attention. But, but, and, and it is all true. But the reality is God needs to be given the glory. It's all about Jesus and what he did. And often teenagers will come up to me and say, oh, I wish I had a testimony like yours. And I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't, because you don't know what that means. I almost died. I lived a life of ungodliness before. I could have been in hell. Your story where you were born and raised in a Christian home is beautiful given the current cultural context. Who, like, who, who experiences that? A godly legacy. You've inherited something awesome. Your story is not about how cool things played themselves out in the physical realm. It's about how powerfully God was at work in you to bring you from spiritual death to spiritual life. None of that is mundane. And I don't think we share that enough. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to sing, I want to speak the name of Jesus as a way to end off. But I want to, I want to encourage you to not just let this have been heard by your ears this morning and then to just disappear and dissipate as you walk out and go and drink coffee and tea because sometimes the Holy Spirit can really convict us and we don't want to carry that heaviness. And so it's like, oh, before I came to church, I left stuff at the gate. Before I go back out the gate, I'm leaving stuff inside here. Let's not do that. I think there needs to be a place where we are challenged to be a church and the individuals here are the church to, to be people who see people coming to know Jesus. Right. So let, let the conviction of the Lord do that for you. And there is a very practical way that you, there's some breadcrumbs that you can drop. Breadcrumbs, yeah. Um, I'm part of the Africa to Africa Connections, which is associated with Africa in their mission. And there's a tool that's being developed, not by them, but that they're now using, and it's called the Biscuit Trail. And it's actually aimed specifically for us day-to-day Christians who encounter people day-to-day, either in our workplace or our home, you know, wherever we are. Um, and this is, they are starting a group, group sessions, um, I think launching at the end of February. And so you can become a part of a group and get some tools of how to actually lay a biscuit trail for your friend or your colleague who you are, or who you, would, you want to witness to. And you can be a, a disciple maker in the marketplace. So if you want to know more, anything more about it, come and chat to me and I can forward you the email with all the details. Amen. I did say to Kathy she must share that, but I said I wouldn't be able to remember. And it was true. I'm sorry, Kathy. Amen. Now, Father, we just want to thank you for your word this morning. God, thank you for the deep challenge that we are to be disciple makers. Thank you, Lord, that it is possible through you and through your power at work within us that we can be individuals and, as a result, a church community that see many come to follow you. We pray for that. May we find favor with you and with people for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.